This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. No matter where you find yourself, it's good to praise the Lord. It's good to praise the Lord. Just want to open in prayer, first of all. Father God in heaven, Lord, we worship you, Lord. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that it is your will to speak to your children. It's your will to communicate with us and to have a relationship with us, Lord. It's your will, Lord, to set us free. It's your will to set our feet upon a rock. It's your will, Lord God in heaven, that we serve you and worship you, Lord. We thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. We pray, dear God, that there'll be a word in season, something to hold on to, something to go on with, something that will give us hope for the future, Lord. God, we just praise you and we worship you. Have your way tonight, Lord, and be exalted in the message, Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this afternoon, this evening, tonight, if you could turn to Zechariah, it's in the Old Testament. If you get to Habakkuk, three books to the right. If you get to Matthew, two books to the left. There's <laughs> no pages in my tablet. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Zechariah is a wonderful book to read. It's wonderful to read it and to see the prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. Here we are in the 6th century BC, and Zechariah is foretelling the coming of Christ often in ways that whenever you know the story of Christ from the Gospels, and then you read Zechariah, you go, how on earth did they not see it? It's a wonderful book. It's well worth a read. I want to turn to uh, Zechariah 1, verse 18. It says, Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? So he answered, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? So he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. The title of my message this evening is The Carpenters Are Coming. And I had to tell Brian at the desk there, it wasn't the musical group from the 70s. Something more important than that. <laughs> He said to me, it would have to be a resurrection service if that was the case. The carpenters are coming. The prophet here is speaking to the people of Israel. If you remember, the, the land of Judah and, and Israel had split, and Judah in the south had been taken off into captivity. They'd gone off to Babylon, and a remnant had come back. 
a remnant had come back to, to Jerusalem to rebuild it. And under Nehemiah, they'd rebuilt the walls. And he's speaking to the people and he's, he's talking to them. And you can imagine his, where he's at, what he's thinking. He'd have been into captivity and they'd returned. He was paired up in some ways by the Holy Spirit with Haggai. Haggai, the old grizzled prophet. An old man who probably had seen the original temple. Had probably been around then. And he had started prophesying. And then after he had prophesied for only a matter of months, Zechariah came along. Maybe they knew each other, maybe they didn't. It doesn't matter. Zechariah came along, a young man. And he's looking at the city. And where Haggai was talking to the people, you have your nice houses. You have your, you know, you've got the really, you've done well for yourself. You've survived. But what about the temple of God? What have you done for God? You've, you've sorted yourself out, but what have you done for God? And Haggai doesn't pull any punches. He's straight to the point. What about God? But Zechariah looks at the people who've come back, looks at them and he says to himself, we've been back here now and for 18 years, nothing has happened to the temple. And he didn't look at the people and what they had. He looked at the people and seen who they were. He's seen how they were demoralized. Yes, they had sorted themselves out and they'd, they'd got all the carnal stuff sorted, but the, spiritually they were demoralized. They had no spiritual vision. They had no spiritual get up and go. As the verses I've read there, the horns had scattered them. Their hope was gone, cast to the wind, ravaged in many ways. And here Zechariah comes, comes along and he wants to, to, he wants to encourage them again. He wants to give them a bigger vision. He wants to give them some hope. And the Lord speaks through them to the people. And here in this vision, the prophet sees horns. Now, these weren't disembodied horns. They were probably attached to a bull or something. When I was reading these passages, I was thinking of the, the bull running in, as a Pamplona, where, they, where they, they chase the bulls, chase the people through the streets. You can imagine the chaos. Remember the guys from Top Gear did it? Where they were chased, scattered. Everyone ran to get away from the bulls. And in many ways, this, this is, speaks a lot about what Israel was like at this time. It's not a million miles away. Zechariah had grown up with the stories from the Torah, the stories of Israel and their glory days. He'd grown up, grown up with stories about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of uh, Moses bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. He brought up the stories of Joshua and the conquest of Canaan, stories of grandeur and splendor uh, and how God had used them and God had anointed them and God had set them aside. He'd grown up with those things and he had a wonderful vision. But when he looked at the reality that he'd seen before him, it didn't match up. Can these be the same people that God chose? Can these really be the descendants of Abraham? Isaac and Jacob of Israel, a prince with God. These people look like far, far from a prince. There's nothing princely about them. Maybe in the carnal sense, they've got all the things sorted. But what about the heavenly sense? What about the spiritual sense? I'm sure he looked at them and he thought to himself, they're not quite what I expected. They're not quite what God had intended. Yes, they had been through the mill. There's no doubt about it. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And Haggai, if he had been around when the first temple fell, there's no doubt he's seen things. A nation thriving and then a nation decimated. 
thousands and thousands died at war, taken off into slavery and captivity, compromised their beliefs, turned away from the one true God. He'd seen it all. Zechariah looks at the people and goes, this doesn't match up. Is this not the city of King David, the mighty king? Is this not the place where the mighty men of valor were? Can this be the same city? Maybe it's not. Maybe they're not the same people. The people started to think of themselves as the remnants. The remnants. We're just a wee bit at the end of the loaf. The crust, that's all we are. Just something at the end. They had no opinion of themselves. It's, it says there in the verse, these are the horns that scattered Ju- Judah so that no one could lift up his head. They couldn't even lift their heads. They couldn't even look up. This was the end. They had no vision of themselves and who God was. They thought to themselves, who cares? Who really cares? Does God care? Does anyone care? The horns of the the beasts spoken of here are often referred to in terms of the kingdoms that had uh, come into Israel and had, you know, taken advantage of them and ravaged them. It speaks of, people speak of Assyria and Babylon and Egypt and, and there's lots of different theories. And I don't really want to focus on that aspect of it. I want to look at the bigger picture. The nation was terrified lived in fear of everyone. Zachariah is walking along as a young man, as a priest who's now got the spirit of prophecy on him and is now speaking to the nation and he's not seeing it match up. They're, look, they're living in fear. Who's going to come in next? We're just pawns now. We're no longer the great kingdom. We're no longer a great people. Humbled, beaten down, under siege and without, from without and within. Their own thoughts were defeating them as well. Have you been there in your own life? Have you been there when the enemy comes rushing in? And it doesn't seem like anything you can do can stop him. He's come in and he's knocked things over. All those dreams, plans, prophecies, verses that God had given you seems to go out the window. Are we not God's people? Are we not his chosen ones? Has he not set his love upon us? And yet, sometimes when we look at our lives and we go, but why did this happen to me? Why did this happen? We don't need to have a pull the post-mortem and why it happened. It happens. It happens. They come ravaging in the horns. They destroy. For all the best intentions in the world, sometimes they come in an avenue that we don't expect. But the horns come in. In this case, it says about the horns, there was four horns, speaking of from all directions. There was no safety. They could nowhere to turn to. Everywhere they looked, in essence, there was an enemy. There was someone greater than them, someone stronger than them, someone who had taken advantage of them, raided their villages, taken out their their young people. And there was no safety. They were living in fear and anxiety and unbelief. Circumstances now told them 
things had changed. Circumstances now told them that you're not the people you once were. Circumstances now told them maybe one day you were, but today you're a different person and for the rest of your life you'll be nothing more. Maybe you were the people of of the great King David and Solomon the wise. Maybe you were at one point. Maybe that's something in the past. Not anymore. Not anymore. Now you're just our punch bag. And that's what the enemy does. The enemy comes in and he not only thumps you, he thumps you so hard that he convinces you that he can thump you anytime he wants. Anytime he wants. That's what a bully does. They're told not to dream. Don't dream too big. Do not hope too much. Imagine the worst and all the surprises in your life will be good. Have you heard it? I've heard people say that. Unsafe people mostly, but I've heard people say it. The children of Israel were shell-shocked. Yes, they had things in the carnal, right? And we can have things in the carnal looking all nice and pretty. But in the spiritual, they didn't look up. Their heads were down. All they seen was the dust, the ruin. It's the enemy's plan to make you into a big old spiritual waste of space. He wants to drive you out of church, drive you out of fellowship with other believers. He wants to drive you out of the worshiping. He wants to drive you out of the prayer room, drive you away from the Bible and drive you out of the presence of God. That is his ultimate goal. And he will stop at nothing to do it. And he'll stop at nothing to convince you that once you're out, you'll never get back. But that's the lies of the enemy. That's the horns of the enemy. And that's what it is. It's a lie. He wants to wrap you up in so much baggage and luggage that you cannot even imagine what it is to travel in the kingdom of God. I thought that was good. God has got bigger plans. He wants to wrap us up in fear. The enemy does. He wants to convince us that there's nothing. What are the horns? Now, to each person, horns can be different things. They can be fear. They can be carnal thinking. They can have issues with our health, issues with our family, issues with our jobs. There can be so many things that are having their way with us. So many things that can come in unexpected out of the blue, out of left field, in a way that we never expected. Things can come in and they can rip and tear because we weren't expecting it. I don't need to list the horns, what they could be in your life. We've all got issues. We've all got people we love who are far from God. I tell you, nothing rips more than someone that you love who's not not walking with God. Nothing hurts more. But we can't let the horns of the enemy dictate how we live as the children of God. We can't let the horns and the lies of the enemy be the thing that, that overshadows our life. We can't put that banner over our life, a failure in this regard. We can't let the enemy do that. The enemy will willingly do that because then he'll convince you, you're a failure there, you're a failure there, you're a failure. And that's all he'll ever shout, you're a failure there, you're a failure there, you're a failure. And that's not true. A friend of mine was asked at one point, 
to speak on the BBC and he was going to, going to address the, the subject of the occult and Wicca and things like that there. And he said, I'm not going to do it. He says, I don't want to attract that kind of attention. And I thought to myself, you know, I can understand, you know, being apprehensive if you know you're going to tread into territory that the enemy rules. I can understand an apprehension. But just as the children of Israel had done, they had forgot that they were the children of Israel. They had forgotten that they were the people of God. Do we forget that we are the people of God? Do we walk around and just go, I'm just like every other man. I'm just like every other woman. This is not the way that we should be thinking. Zechariah is prophesying to the heirs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the people who knew God, people who had a grip on God like no other nation, a people who were singled out and were given a land, the land, it says that this is God's land, the promised land, they were given it. They had a special revelation, a special relationship with God. These were the descendants of Moses and Aaron, of Joshua, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, and Solomon. I went to Hebrews 11 for that one. But you get the idea. These are the people who are the descendants of, of these men. There is something about a godly heritage. Now, we might not have it necessarily. Some of us do and some of us don't in, in, the spirit, in our spiritual lives. But if we are now a family of God, we have a spiritual heritage Someone was our spiritual father, whether it was our natural father or it was someone else. We have spiritual brothers and sisters sitting beside us tonight. So too for us, we are the children of the most high God, the one true and living God. We are the children of God. You know, that's something that we should be praising God about. We should be praising God that he has chosen us, that he has adopted us into his family. We're so worried about the horns and about the damage and about what's happened. We shouldn't be worried about those things. We should be focusing on him. He sent his son to live and to die in order to forgive, redeem, and adopt us. He did so much for us. And now we have been given a very great honor of being his voice and hands in this world. No one else bears that responsibility or privilege. We carry a light, a light into a dark place. The prophet is calling out to the nation to remember who they are and remembers whose people they are. The name Zechariah means God remembers. You've been beaten, you've been destroyed, but listen, God remembers you. He hasn't forgotten. The other nations might have forgotten you. You might even have forgotten yourself, but God never forgets. God remembers. And most importantly, he remembers his covenant. He remembers his promises. He remembers those things that he has told you in the secret place. He remembers those verses that he opened up to you and give you a lifeline and hope for the future. Zechariah 1 verse 10, 20 there says, Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, What are these coming to do? 
So he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it, to terrify them, to scatter them, to destroy them, even the memory of their reign of fear. Horns have scattered, but God has already dispatched the carpenters to deal with the horns. We try and work it all out and we can't. Sometimes we just can't. Doesn't matter what we do, we can't work it out. As my dad said a couple of weeks ago in the cell group, whenever you're at your end, then you qualify for God's intervention. When you can't do anything else, whenever you call out to him and you have nowhere else to go, no one else will help you. Look at the children of Israel turned to all the other nations. When they thought the threat was coming in from Assyria, they went to the Egyptians and says, lend us your army. Come, we're going to be allies with you. And it didn't work. But when you're at the end of the rope, God is on hand to help. God is on hand to help. He'll help in ways you can't even imagine. He can do things that are exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or even think. I'm not telling you how God's going to deal with it. He might not deal with it this week. He might not deal with it this month. But God's got an answer. He's got an answer. He's got a solution. He's got a, a carpenter designed specifically for your problems. A carpenter equipped with tools to destroy what faces you today. Glory to God. That is something to praise God for. You know, it is something to praise God for. We, we're not just here on a carnal listening to someone talk. We're here to worship God. We're here to get our spirits lifted, to get our vision renewed, to get our focus on him again and think, see things for the future. So what are you facing tonight? What horns are ripping apart your life? Listen, there's a carpenter on the way. The message tonight is that God remembers and that he has dispatched the carpenters to deal with the horns. I use the word carpenters uh, the word there that says carpenters or smiths or craftsmen, you can take it in any one. The idea is that someone who's skilled with equipment to, to perform a task. We're not talking about someone who's delicately going to do something. It's not that image. It's someone who's going to come in and blatter it. You know, get a good old Irish, Irish screwdriver and sort it out. C.H. Spurgeon said... He who wants to open an oyster must not use a razor. For some work, there needs less daintiness and more force. Providence does not find clerks or architects or gentlemen to cut off horns, but carpenters. The work needs a man who, when he has work to do, puts his whole strength into it and beats away with a hammer or cuts through the wood that lies before him with might and main. Let us not fear for the cause of God. When the horns become too troublesome, the carpenters will be forthcoming to the fray. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank God he's got a solution for our problems. Thank God that he can help us when the enemy comes in. Thank God that we're not on our own. We're bought with a price. Isaiah 65, 24 says, Before they call, I will answer. And while they were yet speaking, I will hear. Thank the Lord. I'm not just talking to myself. 
thank the Lord. I'm not just praying in the empty space, but he hears. And before I call, he will answer. And while I'm yet speaking, he will hear. The children of Israel were not even looking for a solution. It wasn't even on their radar. These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head. They couldn't even muster up a Holy Ghost amen. Couldn't even, couldn't even do a thing. What's the, the temple sat for 18 years. <sighs> yeah, we'll get around to it. They, they couldn't even muster the enthusiasm. They had buried their heads, heads in the sand. 18 years of liberation and still they were slaves. 18 years after freedom and they were still bound. They could not see anything beyond the, the things their enemies would do to them. As I said there, they, they, the enemy showed them the vision of them hitting them. I'm going to beat you. You've been defeated. And that's all the enemy showed them. And that's all they could see. I am defeated. I am defeated. I am defeated. I am defeated. I have no, we have no effort. We have no resources. We have no abilities. But I tell you, that's not right. They estimate that two in 10 of those who returned from the captivity was of the priesthood. Two in 10 were of the priesthood, which means two in 10 were religious people who knew about God, who knew about their ancestors, who knew about what God had chosen them to do. Two in 10, they were not talking here about carnal people. We're not talking about people who just took the notion, I'm a secular Jew, I'm just gonna go home. These were people, you know, two in 10, 20% were, let's go and do it. Let's go conquer the land. Here they are. Pfft. We're defeated. You, you. But still they were looking at the, the enemy showed them. They believed it over and over again. We have to avoid the temptation to believe that our current situation is as far as we will go. We have to avoid the temptation to believe that things will never change. We definitely have to avoid that temptation. As people of God, as people of faith, as believers, we have to believe the right thing. If you, the, the lies of the enemy is that things will never change. They'll never get better. You've de, you know what? You've been defeated there, so don't even try and fight there again. But that's not the way God works. That's not the way he works. God's in the business for changing things. You know, he's got other, he's got carpenters. Sometimes you just have to, <laughs> you just got to trust God and he will remember you. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful. It's not that he forgets us, but to us in our flesh, we feel forgotten. And that's what the enemy convinces us that we are forgotten. It said there in Zechariah, the first verse of, of verse 18 of Zechariah 1, says, then I raised my eyes and looked. So you had the children of Israel who had not lift their heads and you had the prophet who raised his eyes to look. If you keep your head down, you're not going to see nothing. I'm talking spiritually, you're not going to see nothing. If you keep your head down, you'll only see this. You'll only see that defeat. You'll only see that graveside. That's all you'll see. You'll see defeat. But if you lift your eyes, the prophet lifted his eyes and he was telling the children of Israel, you need to lift your eyes. So do we, we need to lift our eyes to God. You know, they, they, the idea was they stopped focusing on what the enemy's horns were doing and they started focusing on God. And in the meantime, the carpenters came in. The carpenters came a running with their tools ready to go to work. 
Sometimes it is a sacrifice of praise that we need. When we think of sacrifices, I'm tired, I couldn't be bothered, I'm just out of bed, I haven't had a coffee, or if I did, it was decaf, and I couldn't, you know, and that's a sacrifice for me. But that's not really what we're talking about. Sacrifice of praise is praising God when things are going to pot. I lifted my eyes, the prophet said, and I seen. We need to lift our eyes. I'm talking spiritual eyes. We need to lift our eyes off our circumstances and off those things that are around us that we cannot change. And we need to get them on God again. We need to praise the Lord again. Let's offer that sacrifice of praise. Focus on God again. Focus on him. Lift ourselves up by looking at him. You know, we sing the songs, I lift you up, I praise you, we enthrone you. It's all to do with our perception and our perspective of God. Whenever we come in on Sunday mornings, I'm sure Clifford and the the, the praise and worship team um, sometimes roll their eyes at us because they might be raring to go, but we're raring to go out. (laughs) They're ready to go. But so what they do is they, they lead us in praise and worship. Praise does, it engages our mind. There's no point just starting with worship because we're not ready for it. But he engages our minds, he engages what we believe, engages our faith in God, engages our, our some, you know, some of the songs, very scriptural, engages the scriptures, engages our mind, which leads us then to raise God up and then our worship comes pouring out of that. And that's an important thing that we do as believers. The children of Israel couldn't even see this. It's important that we see it, that we have to lift our eyes, our spiritual eyes, and see the glory of God, see what God has done in the past and what he can still do. See that he is still a big God. He's still the miracle work in business. He's still in the business of changing lives. He's still in the business of performing miracles. He's still in the business of raising the dead. He's still in the business of giving hope. He's still in the business of blessing his people. He's still in the business of looking after you and me. He hasn't changed his plans. He hasn't changed himself. Sometimes we can feel like we need to know more. I need to read more. I need to study more. I need to uh, have more knowledge of things and then God will help me. I was saying to Johnny Northy this morning that knowledge sometimes isn't what we need. It's faith in what we do know. Look at the, 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 the Pharisee in the temple who was proclaiming his righteousness and all the things that he had done. He knew the Torah and the Tanakh and he knew everything and he was proclaiming all the things that he knew. And then the publican came in who knew nothing and he said, Lord, forgive me, I am a sinner. He didn't need to know anything. We need to just trust him, trust what we know about him, trust his character, trust that he's the God who does not change. And you know what? Say that. You need to say it sometimes. You need to voice that. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to say that. You know what? I'm not even going to look at that. God is a good God. God is a good God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're my God, my Savior, my Redeemer, my help, my ever-present help in time of trouble. You're my shield and my buckler, my high tower that I run into. 
your perception of those things will change. The carpenters will get to work on them whenever you lift him up. In Luke 12, it talks about, um, I'll just read a few verses. Don't need to turn to it. It says, uh, we're very familiar with this. It says, he said unto his disciples, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat and the body is more than remnant. If, if then God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. We're not designed to worry. We're not designed to carry the worries for tomorrow, today. It'll wreck your life. It'll give you anxiety and stress. It'll raise your blood pressure and do all manner of things to you. It'll take the joy out of today. He's given us grace for today, but you can't borrow from tomorrow's grace. He says, do not worry about tomorrow. Doesn't want us to just walk around with our fingers in our ears, close our eyes, sort of like I watch some movies. If I know there's a movie and it's going to have, a, a, you know, it might be, oh, someone's going to die or something. Like that. I go, I, I, I get very squeamish. And that's, God doesn't want us to do that in, 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 the, in the spiritual sense. He doesn't want us to plug our ears and cover our eyes and just go, it's all going to go away. He's saying, don't worry about it because I'll worry about it. Don't worry about it because I will worry about it. We give him our heart. We give him our soul. We give him our all. Didn't we? Come and have my life. Take my life. It's his responsibility to look after us. We don't need to worry about the details of how he'll do it. Yes, we need to be wise, we need to be prudent, we need to be thoughtful, but we can trust him because he has not changed. Worry does not change the outcome of our circumstances. Worry does not change the horns that the enemy sent in. Only praise can do that. Praise the Lord. The four horns have four corresponding carpenters. So the extent to which the enemy can throw chaos, destruction, fear, and ruin into your life, seeming to come from all directions, does, do not be afraid. God's answer is more than adequate to destroy it comprehensively. More than adequate to deal with whatever you're facing today. You know, I still believe God's a good God and he's a miracle worker. I still believe God can sort things out I still believe God is a good God. They terrified the horns. They destroyed the horns. They made their influence and damage a thing of the past. Praise the Lord. You know, we need to praise God more in our speech and not just our, praise, our songs and our singing, which is right, but in our speech, we need to praise God more. See, when you're, when you're on your own in your, in your, your quiet place, you know, when you're, gonna, you're praying, before you pray or after you pray or while you're praying, just... Praise God. Just always say, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise your Lord, praise your Lord, praise your Lord, praise your Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for answering prayer. Thank you, dear God in heaven, for your deliverance. Thank you, dear God in heaven, for doing what I could not do. We are the children of God. 
That doesn't mean we walk around in some airy-fairy world, but that we, it means that we are not on our own. We are not left to our own devices. He cares. He is concerned for us. Isn't that wonderful to know that he cares? Do not worry about tomorrow because I'm worried about tomorrow for you. In fact, I'm not even worried. I've got it sorted. Don't worry about that report from the doctor. Don't worry about that their situation in your family. Don't worry about that loved one who's walked away. Don't keep praying for them. Keep believing. You know what? And pastor said it, and my, my dad was saying it recently. You know, you can't talk to them about God, but you can talk to God about them. You know, just keep talking to God about all the problems, all your issues. You know what? Pour out your heart to him. Let it get him involved. He cares, and he wants to know. Jesus came to this earth as the master carpenter. He can sort out problems like nobody's business. He can do the impossible. He came with an answer for our sin that was custom made. Custom made answers. Same with the other situations we face that we cannot answer. Only God can help us. We do not have to overcome any reluctance on the part of God. We don't have to try and coerce him or talk him into helping. He is more than willing. We don't have to prove ourselves worthy. In fact, we re when we reach the end of our abilities, that's when we qualify for a miracle. Matthew seven eleven says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We have a heavenly father who cares. God is a good God. I'm not, I, another verse, but I think that's all I need to say. I think I've, I've made a point. We are not alone. The defeat that the enemy would desire to have you to remember and indelibly etch into your psyche is not of God. It is not permanent. The enemy's defeat is not permanent in your life. His defeat over you. The defeat you've suffered at his hands is not permanent. It's not permanent. Father God in heaven, Lord, we praise you. We glorify you. We lift your name up high. Lord, we give you our future, we give you our lives, Lord, we give you our souls, we give you our, our eternity, Lord God. We ask you into our hearts, Lord God. And Lord, as our heavenly Father, we know that you're capable, well capable of taking care of us, Lord. We know, dear God, in heaven that you are our God and that you're King of kings and Lord of lords. As our God... We know, Lord, that you have got us answers for our problems beyond what we can see, Lord. We know, dear God, in heaven that the lies of the enemy are just that, lies, Lord God. And we thank you that you have set us free, that you've set your hope in us, that you've set your life in us, that you've set your favor on us, Lord. God, Lord, in heaven, Lord, we praise you, Lord. We thank you, dear God, in heaven for your hand in our lives. We thank you for working it out, Lord, working out all the details, Lord, 
We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. Lord, we praise you and we glorify you. We thank you, dear God in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.